0: And we are still looking at the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. And we have um, looked so far at our relationship, our Father. We have looked at our reality, which are, He is uh, the one who is and was and is to come. That is our present reality. We don't uh, serve a dead God who was. We serve a God who is. That's our reality. Our Father, our relationship with God, that's our reality. Our realization, he is in heaven, a place of power, a place of perfection. Our responsibility, our Father. We are a body of Christ. We are a family of believers. And when we pray, we don't pray selfishly, but we pray for one another. Our reverence, hallowed be thy name. Our request. Uh, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in heaven. Um, So give us this day our daily bread, our request, sorry, our repentance. Forgive us our debt as we forgive those who, um, uh, as we forgive our debtors. Our reliance. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. From evil. That's what we looked at last week. Our reliance on God's direction lead us not into temptation, and we looked at our reliance on God's deliver us, deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from evil. It's not about evil things. Remember, we looked at the way in which the Greek was. It's uh, the the evil one himself. And tonight we come to our rejoicing. We can rejoice when it comes to praying. You know, sometimes I think I don't know if, if. if you watched the coronation yesterday, the, uh, and, and again, you know, a lot of that is steeped in, in, in history that goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Hence, Gregorian chants and all of that stuff. And sometimes you kind of have a vision of Christianity that when you pray, it has to be like a solemn, oh, but they can be rejoicing in our praying. We rejoice because of who God is. We rejoice because of what he's done. We rejoice because of the change in our lives. We can rejoice because... All of this that we've spoken of, the fact that we have a relationship with him, the fact that our reality is that he's alive uh, uh, today, the fact that uh, we have the the reverence for his holy name, the fact that we can bring our request before him to give us this day our daily bread, the fact that we come before him in repentance, knowing that our sins are forgiven, the fact that we come and rely upon him for his direction in our lives, that his will might be done, that he will deliver us from evil and he will direct our paths and we can rejoice happy Christians even when things don't go our way we can still rejoice why? not because of who we are but because of who he is for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever amen Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight, Lord. We are so grateful that we can come before you tonight in prayer, that we know that we have our sins forgiven, that we know we have a right standing with you because of Christ's righteousness, not because of anything that we've done or anything that we can offer you, but all because of what Christ has done. And Father, we recognize tonight that there are people in this church who have heavy hearts. We recognize tonight that there are people in this church that are struggling, that people are battling with health issues, There are people battling uh, with uh, difficulties at home, There are people battling with frustrations in work, There are people battling uh, because of uh, various issues in their lives. But we are able to come before you tonight and to lay all of that at your feet. Scripture tells us to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. We are told to be careful, to be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, to let our request be made known unto God and Father, we come before you tonight and we lay all of this at your feet and ask you to take our burdens that we cannot bear, so that we might feel those the weight lifted off our shoulders that we might be able to come tonight and prayer and to rejoice because of our relationship with you, because of our opportunity to come into your presence, because of our privilege to be able to come and worship you. So Father, there's somebody here tonight whose rejoicing is broken. Lord, would you restore that to us tonight, that we might rejoice knowing our sins are forgiven that we might rejoice knowing that our home is heaven, that we might rejoice knowing that you are our Father, that you have saved us from our sins, and that one day you'll take us home to be with yourself in glory. So, Father, we just pray that you would help us tonight. And if our joy has been lost, that you would restore to us that joy of the Lord, because that is our strength. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the final portion of this prayer, it, I know I can't help it, because I move. The final portion um, of this prayer focuses on the greatness and the glory of God. It begins with the praise for God. Our Father which art in, he- art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it closes in praise for God. Uh, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Uh, And the glory of God should dominate our prayers. You know, there's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with interceding for one another. There's nothing wrong with having a prayer list and coming before the Lord and saying, Hey, Lord, you know, I have this need in my life and my, my wife has this need, my husband has this need, my kids have this need, my parents have this need. There's nothing wrong with bringing our needs before the Lord. But if our needless, outweigh our, outweighs our praise list, our praise our list, praise then there's something wrong. Because a large portion of our prayer should be focusing on glorifying God. The main objective of our lives is to bring glory to the Lord. Whatsoever you do, therefore whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, to all the glory of God, Everything we do ought to bring glory to the God. Not just in our praying, but in our everyday lives. Everything we say, everything that we do, everything should bring glory to God. And this prayer includes much praise for God as well as petition to God. We're not only praying simply to get, you know, we're praying to give. We recognize the fact that when we come to church, we don't just come to church to get. We come to church to give as well because you sat in your place is going to bless the person next to you because what you've been through this week might be exactly what they need to hear so that you can bless them because they've gone through something similar and they might be like, oh, my days, I can't believe you've been through that. We all need to be in our place because it's not just about, right, what can God give me? But what way can I bless somebody else? What way can I... Bless and glorify and honor God in our praying, in our praising, in our worshiping, in our working, in our witnessing, in everything that we do. Our prayer includes adoration for the Lord. You know, if our petitions outweigh our praise, then we need to take a look at that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a list that long of petitions. But you make sure that list is replicated this side in praise. If you're going to come and you're going to spend 25 minutes listing what you need, then you make sure you spend 25 minutes listing how great and wonderful God is and for the blessings he's bestowed upon you in life. And you give him the glory and honor. And make sure that this side doesn't outweigh this side. The final statement of praise instructs us in some important important truth. First of all, it talks about the lordship of God. Thine is the kingdom. It talks about the power of God. The power, it talks about the magnificence of God. The glory, it talks about the eternality of God. Forever. This praise is a great testimony of who God is. And because of that, we can rejoice. We can rejoice because of who God is. You know, we are able to come before his throne of grace because of who he is, not because of who we are. You know, we understand the scripture says we can come boldly before the throne of grace, but we don't come in our strength. You know, God doesn't look at us and say, oh, my days, now you are here, everything's going to be okay. Because when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He sees his son. And the righteousness of his son Clothed around us that's the only reason we're allowed before the throne because of who he is in a world so filled with trials and troubles and pro- let me ask you this question tonight you don't have to tell me what they are I don't want to say I don't want to know because that sounds like I'm uncaring but for this experiment I, I don't want to know how many of you here tonight are going through something difficult whether it's a health problem a family issue um, a financial trouble Something in work, something at home, something in school. You're going through something. Boy, I wish this could be fixed. Case only five people have got everything completely smooth. You need to speak to those people and say, right, what are you doing right? The way you're doing so wrong. Everybody's got problems tonight. Whether that's a difficulty, whether that's a trial, whether that's an issue of some sin that we can't conquer. We are going through something, and all of us face that. The world is so filled with trials and problems and troubles, but it's comforting to know that we serve a God who can answer those prayers. We have a cause to rejoice even in the trial. We rejoice not because trials don't come. We rejoice because we have one who can take us through the valley. But when we're in the valley, we're able to say, like David, he yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Because you comfort me. Because you direct me. You know, sometimes people can come to me and say, hey, pastor, I've got this problem, and think I'll, I'll wave a magic wand, and their problem goes away. I don't have all the answers. I'm not that clever. And it's not always a quick fix to things but I know somebody who will give us the strength to get through what we're facing. Ah, oh, that's just a cop-out. It's not a cop-out. Because there's people here tonight who will say, do you know what? I was facing something and I did know, not know what to do. I was literally at the end of my tether. But God. But God. God will always come through. Oh, it doesn't mean he takes the problems away. It doesn't mean he heals immediately, even though he can. Now that doesn't mean that suddenly the, the valley is just flattened out and everything goes completely smooth. It just means that he's with us in everything that we face. We can rejoice. We can rejoice tonight because of his preeminence. For thine is the kingdom. As we look at this world this evening, how, how many of you look at this world tonight and think, oh boy, this place is in a mess. How many times do we look at the world and think, you know what? The evil forces are so in control of things that there is no hope whatsoever. Can I drop a bombshell a minute? It doesn't matter how much it looks like Satan's got the upper hand, he doesn't. For thine is the kingdom. Yeah, but he's, he's the God of this world, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. You know, he is the God of this world. He still can't do anything without God say so. It's God's kingdom. For thine is the kingdom. That's God's preeminence. It doesn't matter what happens in the world today. It might look like Satan and the forces of evil are running the show, but guess what? We cannot see that there is an invisible spiritual kingdom dominated by an all-powerful God. God has the final word. You know, some Christians today are so focused on prophetic things and panicked about, oh, the, you know, the World Health Organization and the World Economic Forum and, you know, the Illuminati and, oh, the one-world government and cash to society. And if that stuff's going to come, why are you stressed about it? Oh, you know, they want us to do away without credit, without our cash, and they just want to go to credit cards. So what? I ain't going to lay you into a secret. I'm sticking everything on my credit card and I'm hoping that the Lord comes back before I've got to pay it off. <laughs> As I'm being taken up in the door, i would be like, ha,
1: ha,
0: ha, ha. I don't think Christians are allowed to say stick that on your pipe and smoke it. Eh? You shouldn't be smoking in the first place. But we do, we panic about so much, like, oh yeah, but look at the way the world is going. Don't look at the way the world is going. Look and see what the Lord says about things. If there's going to be a cashless society, because the Bible says there's going to come a point where people can't buy or sell unless they receive the mark of the beast, do we think we can stop it? Oh, and well, as long as we all keep spending our cash, they'll never be able to bring it in. God says it's going to happen anyway, so why are we stressing about it? Let's just trust the Lord. Instead of stressing about it and trying to stop it, let's just rejoice in God's preeminence and say, hey, guess what? Let's tell as many people as we can about Christ so that when this junk happens, people will be prepared to go home with the Lord when all of this takes place. We can rejoice in his, pre- in his preeminence. It's his kingdom. Yea, before the day was, I am he, and there is none that can deliver it out of my hand. I will work. And who shall let it? Uh, Ephesians 1.11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Things might look like they're spiraling out of control, but God has got it all in hand. And we can rejoice. Listen, if your faith and confidence was in Boris Johnson or Rishi Sunak or Tony Blair or Margaret Thatcher, if you were Hope and was in any political leader, let me tell you something, Mark Drakeford hasn't got the answers. Rishi Sunak hasn't got the answers. Joe Biden definitely doesn't have the answers. But that's not where our hope is. My hope is not in any of those men. Even though we are to pray for them because they are our rulers, we're told to pray for those who have rule over us. Our hope is not in those men. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Psalm 188 tells us that. And we can rejoice because of God's preeminence. It's His kingdom. Things might look like they're spiraling out of control, but things are working according to His plan. And when the smoke clears and when the dust settles, the Christian will be the one who will be like, see, it's happening exactly as I was reading Daniel um, today. And when you read um, the last couple of chapters of Daniel, and you look before the Greek Empire was even a thing, God said to Daniel, this nation that, that that empire is going to split into four. Who could have predicted that? When Alexander the Great conquered the world at such a young age, it was an incredible empire and so swift. You never thought that would have split into four, but Daniel said exactly though God told Daniel exactly what was going to happen. God has told us exactly what's going to happen in the latter days. So let's just rejoice in God's preeminence instead of focusing on the world. Oh no, what's going to happen? God's only told us what's going to happen. Let's just trust in him. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a righteous scepter. When this prayer was taught, Remember that Caesar was on the throne. That Caesar was in control of literally the known world at that time from the UK all the way across the Mediterranean towards India. Caesar had power over every man, woman and child in the known world. And Jesus said, pray this, God, thine is the kingdom. Not Caesar's kingdom, it's his kingdom that's the preeminence of God, and we can rejoice in that. Don't let a lost cynical world tell you that God is out of business. Don't let a lost cynical world tell you that God doesn't exist. Don't let a lost cynical world tell you that you're wasting your time. Not a waste of time going to church oh, on a Sunday. You know, there's street parties going on today now, and um, again, somebody said to somebody on their way to the church tonight, why don't you come down to the street party tonight? And they're like, well, we're going to church. But what do you want to do that for? Going to have your sins absolved, are you? No, because it's a very long list. <laughs> it's going take an awful long time. if I've got to go to church to have my sins absolved. But people think we're mental for coming to church. don't let a lost cynical world dictate your joy because our joy is not based in this world our joy is based in something far better and far greater than anything this world has to offer our lord one day will make an announcement from glory And the seventh angel sounded and there were great voices in heaven saying the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. What will be revealed to all on that day is a reality today. For thine is the kingdom. In God's eyes this has already happened. hasn't happened in our time frame yet. Our Lord rules this evening because he has the right to. It's his kingdom. We can rejoice because of his preeminence. When Christ came into this world and died upon the cross, he redeemed everything, everything that was broken, everything that Adam did in the Garden of Eden, everything that was destroyed because of that sinful action was restored on the cross of Calvary, Christ paid the price, and our God, our God is preeminent. His kingdom, and we can rejoice because of that. When we pray, this prayer, we acknowledge His supremacy. We we acknowledge our subjection. You know there were there was calls yesterday to like look to the telly and when a certain point of the ceremony came up everybody was to kind of pledge their allegiance to Charles and uh, my allegiance is pledged to a king already he's my king thankfully I'm going to say something controversial even though he's the king of kings and the lord of lords technically he's not our king and we are not his subjects Because he's our bridegroom. We are his bride. Even though he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You notice, uh, if you did watch the ceremony yesterday, I didn't watch the whole ceremony, so I'm not sure if Camilla had to get up and bow down to Charles and do anything or kiss any of the objects that were kind of the glove and the scepter and the orb and the, the, the crown and everything else that was presented to me. I'm not sure if she did. And I would doubt that she did because of her position as his wife. See, we have a position with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords when he died upon the cross for our sins and we accepted him as our saviour. We became the bride of Christ. That is cause to rejoice because of who we are in our relationship with him. When we pray, we acknowledge his supremacy in our lives. We acknowledge that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. We acknowledge the fact. And that gives us cause to rejoice. We rejoice in his preeminence, but we also rejoice in his power. For thine is the kingdom, the power. We've established the fact that God is in control. Now we are told to rejoice in the fact that God has power to control all things as well. We don't serve some anemic, weak God. We serve a God of power. We serve a God of might. We serve a God who is a consuming fire. We serve a God who, when he appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai, was full of thunders and lightnings. We serve a God that when he opens his mouth is like the sound of mighty rushing waters. Has anybody ever been to somewhere like Niagara Falls? like a big waterfall, I'm not talking about scooter rider now, which is like, even in the winter is a trickle at best. I'm talking about a real, I say a real waterfall then because that's like being down on Welsh things, but when you go to Niagara Falls, there's something really eerie about the power of that water that comes over that. That bit. And then you can go on this little boat called the Maid of the Mist and you go right up to the bottom of the water and the sound is almost deafening. That's just water. Thousands and millions of gallons coming over that edge. That's just water. And when it says that he has a voice like, like a mighty wind, he has a voice like many waters. You can imagine the power You can imagine the power of God's voice because he had to speak one word and everything came into existence. We can rejoice in his power. He is Almighty God. He is El Shaddai. Uh, Genesis eighteen fourteen says, "Is anything too hard for the Lord?" At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now in Matthew nineteen twenty six, but Jesus upheld them and said unto them, "With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible." That's the type of power that is available. That's the type of power that God has. And we can rejoice in his preeminence. We can rejoice in God's power. It's far easier to list the things that God cannot do than to list the things that God can do. God can't lie. God can't change. God can't make mistakes. God can't fail. When we come before him in prayer, we come in confidence. And we can rejoice. Because of his power. You know, when we were kids, and this this is going to say a lot. When you were younger, I want you all to shout out straight away. You all got to shout out now, okay? Be honest. When you were younger, did you go for the big stuff, the important stuff? Did you go see mom or dad? That shows you where the power is. That shows you who is really wearing the trousers in the house. How incredible that when we need something we go to the, the one person who has the ability to meet that need. We can rejoice because of God's power. His kingdom, his power, his glory are forever. That is never going to be taken away from him. You know, for all of Satan's schemes, for the time that Satan fell from glory because of his pride, all that's going to take place through the tribulation, even at the end of the millennium, when Satan rallies one last time against the Lord, nothing can take anything away from the Lord because of his power. And his power and his glory and his kingdom are forever. I'm going to give you a really deep theological Greek lesson here. Do you know what forever means? Forever. That's some deep stuff. Forever, that's what it means. The fact that God is immutable, he is unchanging, unable to change. I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ, the same today, yesterday, and forever. His power today is the same as it's ever been. You know, we might look and say, oh, well, you know, the Lord doesn't move in power today because things are not happening in the church like they used to hundreds of years ago. And things are not happening in Christianity like they were during the book of Acts. And things are not happening today like they were in Old Testament times. God's lost his power. That's nonsense because God doesn't change. And we can rejoice in the fact that we serve the same God who is God now as was God back then. And we rejoice in his power. His power today is the same as it's ever been. After all, he is, I am that I am. Self-sufficient one, all-sufficient ever-present, never-changing. God is still God, and we can rejoice. We can rejoice in his preeminence, in his power, in his personality. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. You know, again, I'm going to go back to yesterday. Britain seems to really know how to do pomp and ceremony, is not they? You know, to have a good march. There's one thing we can do in Britain, we can queue and we can march in line. But you know, for all the pomp yesterday and for all the gold of the carriage and the crown and all the jewels, and that's nothing compared to the glory of God. You know, I don't know how much that gold carriage is worth and if it's all gold. But you know what God sees when he looks at that gold carriage? Patio slabs.
1: <laughs>
0: He's like, oh. Bit of pavement. Because <laughs> God's city, the streets are paved with gold. You can't even begin to comprehend that. that that's just the city. God's glory is brighter than the sun. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. God does what he does so that he might be honored by his creation. He does what he does so that men might be drawn to him in worship. He alone is glorious, and he alone deserves our praise. As we pass through life, Sometimes we try and accumulate glory for ourselves. We, you know, we kind of want to make a name for ourselves and we sometimes want to be remembered. And, but it's only God that deserves our glory. Like we said earlier, in everything that we do, we ought to bring glory to God. If we could ever learn that simple truth, it would revolution our lives. It would change our church. It would change the way in which we pray. Maybe the one reason that we don't see our prayers answered is because we're asking amiss. We're not asking in accordance for God to be glorified, but we're asking so that we might be satisfied. And we're asking amiss. Perhaps the reason we're not seeing more people being saved is because we're not asking for the glory of God, but we're asking it maybe so that church numbers might increase a bit. Our God is a jealous God. I am the Lord. Uh, That is my name and my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. When we come to pray, we remember the fact that not only does our Father have authority, but he also has the ability to answer our prayers. He wants to move in our lives. He wants to move in our homes. He wants to use us so that our lives are a living testimony, so that our lives are an epistle, a letter to lost men, so that everything we do always points back to God. That's why it's important that we live our lives a certain way, so that we're always honouring God in the things that we do. He wants to move in our lives, not so that we receive the glory, but that He receives the glory. He alone deserves that. We are told that his kingdom, his power, and his glory are forever. Nothing is going to change that. Nothing the world does. No laws in parliament are going to change God's glory. No matter what they try and do in the church, or no matter what they try and do to the gospel, none of it will change God's glory. No matter what Satan tries to do in this world, nothing is going to change the fact that it's God's kingdom, and it always will be For Ever. The great model prayer closes with the word Amen. Amen is not much. I'm pretty sure I'm going to ask the Welsh speakers in church, how would you say Amen in Welsh? Amen. I think Amen is pretty universal as a word. As soon as you say it, you kind of know what people are saying, it is the last word in the Bible. It was Jesus' first word in John one fifty one, was Amen. Among the last words in the life of Christ while he was on the cross was the word Amen, said to the thief upon the cross. You might say, well, like, he didn't say Amen, he said verily. That's what Amen means. Verily, verily, truly, truly. When you say Amen, you say, so be it. It's true. Sometimes we use it as a sign-off when we pray, as if we're saying, Roger, over and out type of thing. But what we're actually saying is, so be it. Let it be true. I affirm this. When you see the word, Amen, in the Greek, it means yes, or true, or let it be so. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him are Amen. Amen and to the glory of God by us. That means that all the promises of God are yes in God. All the promises of God are truly in God. All the promises of God are verily true. Let it be so in Christ. The kingdom, the power, and the glory. Yes, truly, truly, verily, verily. Let it be so. Amen, amen. When Christ taught us to pray this way, he is ending the prayer with a confirmation of his promises. We are basically saying, so let it be. We're reminded that the God to whom we pray is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that ought to cause us to rejoice. There's not a lot left to rejoice about in this world tonight because this world is in a mess. This world is more hateful towards one another than I've ever seen it. There is so much division in this world. Literally, man is rising against man. There is so much hatred towards this group and that group. What is there to rejoice about? But when we come to the Lord in prayer, the believer in Christ has everything to rejoice about. If you were unsaved and you look at this world and you think, what hope is there? You have spot on, absolutely none. But as a believer in Christ, your eyes are not fixed upon the world. Your eyes are fixed upon the Lord. And you say, what hope is there? <laughs> Every hope that God has to offer. And that's a cause to rejoice tonight. Father, we thank you for this time together this evening, for the opportunity to come around you. a word. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. We have so much to be able to rejoice even though this world has nothing to offer. Father, I ask that you would help us when it comes to prayer. That we wouldn't just come before you with a list of our, shop, our, our to-do list, or our shopping list, or our wants, even though you've told us to bring those requests before you. Lord, I pray that as we come before you, we would praise you and worship you and honor you and we can rejoice in the fact you are our God, that it is your kingdom, your power, and your glory, and that will last forever. Nothing can take that away. Lord, it is comforting to know that we have the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is comforting to know that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, would you help us tonight? Would you help us to rediscover the joy of the Lord that we might be able to rejoice as we should, not because of what's happening in our lives, but because who is in our lives. Help our focus to be upon you as we give you all the glory, honor, and praise. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward at this time as we come around the Lord's table. you know it's incredible to think that at this time on the night before the Lord was crucified as they gathered for what we know as the Last Supper it might appear that things were getting out of hand for the Lord that things weren't going according to plan you could have looked at his life and thought well his ministry was going well he built up a following. Jerusalem was excited move when the Lord came in just a few days earlier. Now we know exactly what Judas is about to do. We know that this night the Lord will be arrested. He's going to be taken to Caiaphas' house. There's going to be a mock trial with the Sanhedrin and the next morning the Lord Jesus Christ is going to go before Pontius Pilate. Pilate's literally going to wash his hands of the situation and several times declares that he finds no fault in this man at all. And yet Christ is going to go to the cross. You might look at that and think, from a worldly point of view, God has lost control. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation is referred to as the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. We could go to the Garden of Eden and think, God lost control, created a perfect world, couldn't even keep control of two people. God already knew what would happen and already made a provision for what would happen when sin entered into the world. And as we come around the communion table, We don't remember an event that was a tragedy from the fact that Christ lost. We come around the table and remember the fact that Christ gained the greatest victory on the cross of Calvary because he died so that we might live. When we look at the bread, we remember the body that was beaten, not just beaten, by the Romans. He was beaten by the Sanhedrin. He was beaten uh, by the, the Romans. He was beaten and battered by those who nailed him to the cross. His body was marred more than any man. He had been through so much that the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't even recognizable as a human being because his body was literally torn to shreds. His beard was pulled from his face. He was so badly beaten that he was unrecognizable. And as we look at the bread and as we break the bread and as we take the bread, we recognize that we too had a hand in what took place on the Lord's body upon the cross. Because it was our sins that put the Lord Jesus Christ on that old rugged cross. And those three nails. It was our hands that put him there. But part of God's plan because he laid down his life for us. that night that the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he took the bread before he broke it and blessed it. I wonder if Brother Andrew would ask a blessing on the bread. After the Lord blessed the bread, he took it and broke it and said, Take eat. this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. The Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Without the shedding of blood, sin cannot be dealt with. Without the shedding of Christ's blood, sin cannot be paid for once and for all. No matter how many sacrifices were made in the Old Testament, sin was only ever covered. Sin was never removed. When the Lord Jesus Christ died upon the cross of Calvary, sin could finally be removed. That God would look at us and remember our sins no more. That is the power of the blood that was shed at Calvary's tree. As we partake of a cup, we remember the blood that was spilt. We remember the blood that was shed. We remember the blood that was applied to the mercy seat in heaven's throne room so that our sins could be forgiven. And though our sins were as red as scarlet, they were like crimson. Christ's blood has made us whiter than the snow. That is the power in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if I also would ask a blessing on that cap. Then we'll retain the cup and we'll take it together. That the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed. After he blessed the cup, he took it and said, "This was a new covenant. So we were to drink this in remembrance of Him." Father, we are thankful for all that you do for us. Father, as we look back to the cross of Calvary, sometimes Lord, that fills us with dread because of all that the Lord Jesus Christ endured and suffered for us. As the lamb was done before his shearer, he opened not his mouth. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Father, we look back at the cross of Calvary and we remember all that took place there. And we're thankful because... Our sins were placed upon you so that your righteousness could be placed upon us. So, Father, would you help us to live lives that bring glory to you. If you were willing to die for us, then enable us to live for you and that all that we do would bring you glory, honor, and praise. For we ask these things in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, our King of kings, and our Lord of lords. Amen amen we will sing the last hymn and uh, after this hymn I'm going to ask Andrew Davis to close us in a word of prayer amen <laughs>
2: that he is Lord, the thy glory O oh God upon us. As we come before him tonight, we thank him for these words of praise that we have sung. Amen. We are able to rejoice because of our Saviour. We know he's coming back, our God. He sang those words earlier, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How can he not with him also freely give us all things? And we praise him for the blessings that we have the material blessings, the spiritual blessings, the financial blessings, our God and Father, you have blessed us abundantly, behold, and the our ask of As we come before thee tonight, our God, we have been around this table, we've seen the bread and the cup upon the table. We've partaken of it, we've partaken of his bread and his body, praise Thee, our God and Father that it is once more, and yet once less, Praise thee our God and Father for the fellowship you have. We praise thee that he's not only with thee, our God and Father, with thy Son the Lord Jesus Christ, but is with each other. We praise thee for